Welcome to another challenging passage from this series on the Sermon on the Mount. Let me start with this. People are complex. Cliched, right? I'm complex. Sophisticated, maybe. Um, you see Mike Hasty, and you kind of, maybe there's a coherent version in your opinion of what Mike is like. You see my behaviours, you see my character. What you don't see is what's happening in here. You don't see the inner crazy, the inner stories that compete, that are held in tension, the mixed motivations, perhaps. Sometimes there is a bit of disparity between what you see and what's happening in here. Consider also, perhaps, a colleague appears to be really nice to you, but they're just using you to climb the corporate ladder. Or, or a friend who seems unresponsive as you share a painful story, but you don't see the inner kind of terror of this person maybe feeling like they could make it even worse. What about a guy at the gym, swaggers around, strutting his stuff, but beneath the bravado is a guy carrying out meekly the policy of his father, show no weakness. We don't see what's under the hood. We don't see what's happening in the heart. We know that sometimes. Our public actions tell one story, our private intentions tell another. Behind the what we do of our lives is the why we do it. Why do I tell you this? Because I guess you can see in this passage that Jesus is going to look under the hood a little bit. He's going to expose our motivations, the why we do things. And it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. I tell you what, I feel a bit nervous preaching on this passage as though I had it all together. But even more than that, Jesus is going to be exploring the, the, the disparity between the why and, and the what. That's hypocrisy. And Jesus is going to explore this and let me pray for us as we open up this passage and ask for His wisdom. Father, thank You for Your Word. Each of us comes tonight to this passage with a different story, with different things on our heart, with different concerns. Father, I pray that you would soften our heart, that you would help me to speak, you would help me to be humble, and that you would help us all to know Jesus more and live for Him as number one. Amen. This is the series on the Sermon on the Mount, and as I said, this is another challenging passage. I preached two weeks ago on a really challenging passage, but I find this one even more challenging, perhaps, because of this idea that, I guess, professional Christians, pastors, are the ones that have it all together, that aren't the hypocrites. And Jesus is pointing directly at religious leaders in this passage. And so I confess to you that I'm nervous as I approach this text, but let's look at it together that we might see what Jesus is trying to teach us. And let me tell you, as I normally do, exactly where we're going. First of all, the main point that I want you to get out of this passage, and what I want you to wake up tomorrow morning with, is this, seek the Father in secret. It's short, it's got two words that start with S. Remember it, seek the Father in secret. But we're going to do a bit of work to unpack this, depending on where our heart is at. And so the first thing that I want to take from this passage, and we're not going to be working through verse by verse so much, but the first thing I want you to take from this passage is this, this idea of when people are big in our lives, that we live for them, where we fear them, and consequently, God is made small. And that difference between living for people as though they were big and God is small is a hypocrisy gap that I want to explore. Secondly, 
I want to look at the antidote to hypocrisy. When God is big, and we don't live for people, but we care for people as a result, as we bring our heart into alignment with Him. And thirdly, I want to relook at religion, R- religion, particularly religious practices, the ones Jesus speaks about here, and look at them from the inside out. When we seek the Father in secret, what difference does that make to religious practices of giving, prayer, and fasting? Are you with me? I've got two nods, that's enough for me. Okay, so let's look at the first one, to seek uh, the Father in secret, but let's look at our hearts when people are big. Look at verse 1 with me, keep the Bibles open, yeah? Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Jesus is on about practicing righteousness, in case that was any confusion. He's just given us a whole chapter of what it looks like to live out our righteousness, to live out this kingdom life, to live a life that that glorifies Jesus and the Father. So he wants us to practice righteousness, but he is saying, do not do that to be seen by others. Don't practice your religion so that you might get the applause of those around you. why, Why would people do that? Why would religious leaders say, I'm living for God, it's all about God, and, and then kind of actually be really saying, what do you reckon, am I doing a good job? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's religious leaders so much, I, I think it's a human condition problem. This is something that we all struggle with. We practice one thing with hidden and, and alternate agendas underneath. This is hypocrisy. Now, we love going to the original Greek words in this church. Behind hypocrisy is the Greek word hypocritas, which means, if you kind of said that in Jesus' day, you would be thinking about a mask worn by an actor in a drama. Okay, not really a bad word, makes sense. It's not a problem for an actor to act out a drama on stage with a mask. They're like, okay, that person's an actor. And then they hop off the stage, take off the mask, and they're just the person who was being the actor. We kind of expect that out of drama, right? We know they're just, I keep telling my kids this, it's just a TV show. What is a problem is if we live our lives wearing masks, because we're not in a drama, we're in real life. And what I mean by wearing masks is being a kind of person that seeks the applaud of this audience over here. And so I wear a mask, I be the kind of person who's going to seek the likes and the affirmation and the applause of that audience. And, and then on the next day, I'm in front of a different audience. And uh, what kind of things uh, will I get applause for from this audience? I'll put on a different mask, I'll be a different person. I'll be defined by these audiences, taking masks on and off. Who am I? Not sure, I'm a mask wearer. Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century existentialist and Christian, uh, wrote this, do you not know that there comes a midnight hour when everyone has to throw off his mask? Do you believe that life will always let itself be mocked? Do you think you can slip away a little before midnight in order to avoid this? Or are you not terrified by it? I have seen men in real life who so long deceived others that at last their true nature could not reveal itself. For some of us, we will be aware of this mask transition. For some of us, we've been wearing masks for so long, deceived others for so long, deceived ourselves for so long, that our true nature, our true identity is lost. We are just a mask. 
doesn't sound very good. And Jesus is railing against it, especially for people who say, I'm all about God, but are just wearing masks. But that's not enough to just talk about that's what we do. To unmask this problem, I want to go a little bit deeper. And someone who's really helped me is the guy that I stole kind of my points exactly from, from his title of this book, When People Are Big and God is Small. Uh, Ed Welch, um, you might have seen this book at The Weekend Away. I read it a number of years ago and it was profoundly helpful and it's challenging. It's kind of one of those books that you read and it just kind of digs into the heart. It hurts a little bit, but it's good. This guy is a professional counsellor. Um, he used to be the professor of practical theology at Westminster Theological Seminary and is now a faculty member at Christian Counselling and Education Foundation, um, a really well-practiced, well-thought-out guy. And he talks about the way that we make people big as not just kind of people-pleasing, but rather the fear of man. And, and what he means by that is it's, it's, it's not like we just want to be liked, it's that we fear not being liked. There is an insecurity in us that we constantly try and resolve. He says this, as we kind of explore what it means to, uh, to live as though people were big, to fear man. Number one, we fear people because they expose and humiliate us. We desire to belong. And if we get exposed to someone who's different, someone who's kind of going to be humiliated, we, we, we rail against that. And so we do whatever it takes to overcome this, to be the kind of person who won't be exposed or won't be humiliated. Two, we fear people because they can reject, ridicule or despise us. Again, we don't, we don't want this. We don't want to be rejected. We want to be a part of something. And we'll overcome this by being the kind of person who will be accepted. And number three, we fear people because they can attack, oppress or threaten us. There is a power play here and we want to have the upper hand. We'll be the kind of person that can overcome this kind of fear. And we see this at play when our behaviour changes. It's starting to get a little bit uncomfortable, right? But as you kind of survey the last week, you'll be kind of like, oh, I, was a, I was a different person on Tuesday because that stuff was happening and I was trying to overcome that. I was a different person on Thursday because of that. And so, when you notice your behaviour changing, and when you kind of go, okay, I'm actually changing masks here, ask yourself the question, what am I fearing here? What power do they have over me? What's kind of going on in my, in my insecurities? And, and that's, these are dangerous questions to ask, unless you've got something bigger to cling on to, and we'll get to that in a sec, right? But just ask the questions that you might discern the issues at play here. These questions have really helped me, and I long to be the kind of person who has the stability to go through kind of the dramas of life and not to be defined by the shifting sands of people around me. And I know that we all long for this. The idea of mask wearing is not going to cut it to get that stability. But as I said, Jesus is particularly railing against religious people here because this is a human problem and we bring this human problem to church. I am... Um, was thinking about this as I asked my boys to kind of wear their Sunday best for church. I'm like, why am I doing that? Why am I kind of masking them up to look their best for church? I guess there's a, there's a metaphor in what I'm asking them to do, as though we come to church, as someone from 5pm put it, with Sunday faces, with, with masks on, as though we've got it all together because we're Christians. What is going on there? 
Well, Jesus points to the religious leaders and he said, how dare you claim that it's all about God, but in the end just live for people's affirmation and applause. And he has the most damning words for them. They're, they're simple words, but he's basically, he says, if that's kind of what you're living for, if that's what you're seeking, then you've received your reward in full. And that is damning because these people know that the glory of God is on offer. And Jesus is saying, well, it kind of is on offer, but you've chosen to substitute it for this and you, you can have that. And it's such a cheap substitute. Anyone who fears God should know that that's a ridiculous substitute. And I just wonder if the Pharisees get it or if they're just happy to kind of keep going, being honoured by men. But I'm not. I don't think we should be either. And so we want to keep listening to Jesus as kind of to find that antidote. But before, we'll skip over this slide, before I get to the antidote, I want to tell you, actually, as a way of getting to the antidote, I want to tell you about this guy, this eclectic guy, Francis Bufford, who wrote this rather strange but really helpful book. He was, well, he is an author, he was an atheist and a strong one at that, a vocal one. And he saw the church as this kind of place of hypocrites, of, to use his words, shiny, happy, squeaky people. <laughs> as he kind of peered into the church to find out what's under the hood, to kind of find out the gospel, really. He didn't know that at the time. But as he explored what is at the core of church, what he came to appreciate was the church wasn't defined by being happy, squeaky, shiny people. The church was defined by being the league of the guilty. What he saw was a bunch of people gathered because they knew they were, or they had poverty of spirit, to go back to the phrase of chapter 5, right? They knew they were sinners, and they knew in absolute dependency that they needed God. They knew they didn't have it all together. But yet they gathered because they came to the one who did have it all together and dispensed life and life to the full. And so he writes this book as basically a justification of what he saw and why he became a Christian, unapologetic, he says. That's what I am, <laughs> that's what he is. Why, despite everything, Christianity can still make surprising emotional sense. Because what he, find, what he found under the mask of what he thought and saw of Christianity was something real and profound. And he trusted God enough he trusted even the church, you might say, to be vulnerable and real and to promote the kind of reality of what God calls us to be. And I loved it. It's a strange book, full of F words, actually, um, but if you get your head around it, um, you might just find something a little unusual and a little helpful in it. I've got a couple of copies if you want to read it. And this begins our journey towards the antidote of hypocrisy. When God is big, when we live for God, when He is the defining thing, person, in our life. And we, and we do this not by belittling people, because when, God, when people are big and God is small, it's not just kind of like, well, make God big and make people small. No, no, you make God big and you'll find that people are cared for. But we'll get to that in a sec, because the secret to, the, uh, to resolving hypocrisy, to making God big, is, and I've already given away the punchline, to seek the Father in secret. And I'm sure you would have seen, as we read this passage, just the number of times the word secret is used. Verse 4, so that your giving might be in secret. Continuing, when your father sees what is done in secret, he'll reward you. 
Uh, verse 6, close the door and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 18, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, make it known to your Father who sees what is done in secret and He'll reward you. Seek the Father in secret. The problem is, is our desires are not too strong. They're actually too weak or too misplaced. Our desire to be affirmed is a good thing, as Maslow would have us believe. It's just we've put it in the wrong spot. We've sought that affirmation, that actualization through other people. There is nothing as stable and secure as God Himself, our Maker. And He's saying, make me number one. But do that in secret. What's this idea of secret? Surely it is none other than personal relationship with God, in the intimacy, in the secrecy. And I'm with the psalmist here, who writes in Psalm 8, basically, you made everything. You are God Almighty. Who are we that you would be mindful of us? How could we have a personal relationship with God Almighty? And that's what Jesus is on about. Seek the Father in secret. The fact that you can even call Him Father is intimate, right? That we could call the, the, the Creator of the universe kind of Dad. There's no ritual here. There's no practice that gets you in. There's no babbling prayers, no hierarchy to climb. Anyone who wants to can address God as Father by saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? You're my Lord and Saviour. And Jesus, as the true Son, says, you're with me. You can call Him Father. It's by grace that we are saved, and it's a gift, and it's beautiful. And so as God bestows this gift upon us, that we would call Him Father, that He would call us His child... Let's explore that personal relationship. Make it all about Him who saved us. And stop putting on and taking off these masks for other people and living for their glory. But live for God's glory. Are you struggling with what others think of you and allowing that to drive your behavior? Identify it. Bring it before the Father in secret and say, Father, I, I need your help here. I keep living for other people. They keep defining me. Father, I know you're the only thing that can truly define me. Can you help me? Are you struggling with feeling unloved and search for that in the wrong places? Father, I know you love me. I'm not feeling it right now. Could, could you help me appreciate and experience the depth and the wonder of your love? Seek him in secret. Tell him about it. This was kind of the core of the weekend away and it was beautiful. I love the idea that if we're struggling... What separates us from someone who's really battling, perhaps, is the ability to just say, Father, I'm struggling. I haven't got it all together. And as we say those words, we suddenly realize we don't need to wear a mask anymore. King David knew this. He wrote in Psalm 139, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me. Find hypocrisy. Totally vulnerable. Totally open. And stable, right? To trust God that much. I long for that stability. Because secretly, subconsciously, I'm always kind of allowing other people to 
search me, define me. I want to put that aside and say, God, show me the parts of my heart that are not for you, because I want to make you big. I want to live for you. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now, if... Actually, yeah, that, that gives us a perfect segue to the reward that Jesus is holding out here. Did you see the word reward in the passage a few times? It's kind of strange, right? If we're saved by grace, what's this reward business doing? Well, we can work out what Jesus is doing here in context. Because if the reward of the hypocrite, of the one who lives for the praise of man, Jesus says, you can have that. That's your reward. For the one who lives for God, what's the reward? The praise of God. Can you imagine that? I'm back with the psalmist again. God delights in you. He praises you because you are a beloved child of Him. Because you're awesome? Maybe, but mostly because you're His. You're actually sinful, you're broken, you're messy. And again, we see the need to wear the mask fade away. But this idea of reward, I want to explore a little bit further, because it's not just the praise of God, it's that we tap into God Himself and all His blessings. As we read in chapter 5, just a couple of weeks ago, as we began the Sermon on the Mount, this blessed life is the reward. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. We will be comforted, filled with righteousness. We will be called children of God. And at the very center of the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. We are praying out our reward. We are praying out the heavenly life to overlap with the earthly life, that we might know God, know the joy of being in His kingdom. I want to live my life with an audience of one. And let every kind of other opinion about me just fall away. How, how beautiful is this idea that we could trust God and His affirmation and love enough, that that was enough. We're all struggling with this, but Jesus calls us to be single-minded here. I kind of want to be like uh, a South American soccer player who scores a goal and is like, yeah, I want to be like that in every aspect of life. I want to own everything I do and say, that's for you, Father. I'm seeking you in secret here. This is for you. Now, others are going to see that. And as we saw in chapter 5, again, just going back to join the dots here, uh, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your heaven in, uh, Father in heaven. I-, I want them to see the good things that come out of my heart, but I'm not doing it for their approval. I'm doing it as I seek the Father in secret. I'm motivated to align my heart with His and let everything that flows out of that, let the chips fall where they may, but I pray that they would fall in a way that glorifies God, that people would see that and go, there's something going on in this guy's life. And if they don't see that, if they say, this guy's an idiot, I guess I just have to be okay with that as well because the Father loves me and I'll keep seeking Him in secret. Now, what does this look like? in these three areas of kind of religious practice. What does it mean to live from the inside out? Well, let's kind of look at the first one, giving to the needy. Now, at most charity events, you'll see kind of platinum sponsorship up the top and kind of then the silver and the bronze, and obviously the platinum, they've given heaps, so they're kind of awesome, right? Giving hurts, 
and we're looking for ways to kind of make it hurt a little less. Now, corporations are people under the law, right? And so they get away with that by doing a bit of a PR campaign and kind of satisfying that, that kind of, that, that, that's the struggle of the cost by getting the names in flashing lights. But even though we're not corporations, we do the same stuff. We look to appease that kind of the hurt of the cost by a bit of trumpet blasting, a bit of kind of like, hey, I just gave to this charity, I just gave to the church. Maybe not so explicit, maybe in subtle ways. In fact, Jesus takes secrecy to the next level by saying, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And I've been meditating all week trying to get my left hand to kind of do things without my right hand knowing. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is wanting us to not even be selfish or proud about it. As though, we kind of, as though I gave to the church, I didn't tell anybody, but inside I'm like, I just gave a lot of money to the church. I feel pretty good about that. Jesus is saying, no. Seek the Father in secret. Do it for Him. Let His affirmation and praise be enough. Now, I guess at this point, it'd be easy to kind of like, you know, maybe wheel the stick a little bit here, talk about giving to the building project, whatever. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, you talk to the Father about that. You seek Him in secret. And whatever you do, do it for His glory. Do it anonymously. I don't need to know about it. In fact, I don't know about it. Secondly, prayer. Why do we pray? Well, to ask God for stuff, right? Except God says, Jesus says there, um, do not be like them. Um, the Father knows what you ask before you ask Him. <laughs> See, it's not just about asking for stuff. Maybe put best um, was by a lady who I had lunch with today. And she had come from the Catholic Church um, as a kid. I don't want to bash the Catholic Church at all, but in her experience... Um, very stale, very mechanical, very ritual. She left the Catholic Church at 15 and hasn't come to church for ages. And she started coming back through, actually through the playgroup. Great ministry. And she's been coming back to church and someone asked her around the lunch table, kind of, what's your experience been like of Christianity now that you come back? And she said, this is the first thing that came to her mind. She goes, I love the simplicity of being able to personally pray to God. I was like, wow, you really understand it. You've really got it. You're really enjoying the intimacy of the Father. You're really seeking Him in secret. Thanks for sharing. That's so encouraging. Prayer is the most beautiful and most necessary expression of seeking the Father in secret. You can't do that without praying. You can't live out a relationship without talking to Him. And if you're like me, and I feel nervous about being a hypocrite here, you always feel like you could pray more. I'll kind of take that to the Father as well, right? And just in case, in this simplicity of prayer, we kind of make it too simple if it could be like that. And it ends up being just kind of, dear God, help me with my exam. Dear God, help me with my sore toe. Um, if, take those things to God. They're real things, whatever they may be. But Jesus gives us this beautiful little sketch of a, of a prayer that's not babbling, that's not ritualistic. It's a little sketch, but it's a profound and rich prayer. And I'm going to use my own words here to kind of freshen it up a little bit. Um, not that it needs that, but just over-familiarity can kind of make it ritualistic. And I want us to get away from that because we're seeking the Father in secret. We're enjoying the intimacy of the Father. Dear Father, I want you to be big in my life and in the lives of others. I want your glory in heaven to be known here. Your heavenly ways to be lived out on earth. Please sustain me each day. Help me, especially to practice the kind of forgiveness I know in Jesus. And strengthen me against temptation to keep making you big and not fall short of that. Amen.
Maybe in your journals that you're all loving uh, from the weekend away, maybe rewrite the Lord's Prayer in your own words. Make it personal, make it intimate. Seek the Father in secret. And lest you think that kind of Jesus is railing against public prayers, please, uh, Liz is going to pray afterwards, please pray publicly, but don't do it for the affirmation of others. And I know as, as young Christians, sometimes we really struggle with this. So if you're praying small groups, as we pray in public spaces, what if I say something that's dodgy? What if they think I'm a really crappy Christian because of what I just prayed? I'll keep growing, right? Someone will pull you up on it. Um, but it's all part of kind of growing and being real with each other. Put the mask down. And thirdly, fasting. Now, it's impossible to imagine a Christian that doesn't pray. It's maybe out of character to imagine a Christian that wasn't generous with their stuff. But fasting, well, I don't really fast much. Maybe you haven't thought about it either. Like, what is this doing here in this list? It was a Jewish custom, not really spoken heaps about in the New Testament. But let me say a few things. Firstly, I think we've got freedom here to practice it or to not practice it. Whatever you do, do it in secret. Don't kind of put on the, the ash cloth, kind of the somber face, kind of like, have, if you look like you haven't been eating all day, even if that is the case. Because if I found a person like that, and I say, oh, you, you look a bit unwell, buddy. Oh, I'm fasting. Ooh, you're very religious. You're very special. Um, that's the kind of affirmation that might take us away from making God big. And so Jesus is saying, do it in secret. One of my favorite phrases um, from James K.A. Smith um, this theologian in the States, he says, we believe with our bodies. Christianity is not this ethereal, super-spiritual thing, and so maybe it actually is helpful to actually pull away from just the things we enjoy every day, even food perhaps, that we might press into the provisions of God, into His mercies. And as I put on Facebook this week to kind of get some answers, to get some affirmation, uh, I asked kind of, you know, the public, what do you think of fasting? Why don't we fast? assuming that most of us don't. And I got a huge array of responses and a lot of people saying, I do fast, especially one guy who I've known for 20 years. And I've known him like really well. He, he married Kel and I. Um, he's been a mentor of mine. And I've kind of walked with him in a whole bunch of ways. And he wrote, I fast regularly um, and I find it helpful to kind of keep, keep my spiritual discipline in check that I keep seeking God. And I was just like, wow, I didn't know that. And I feel bad for kind of dragging him out of his secrecy to tell me that. But Jesus is saying, do it in secret if you're going to do it. If you're not going to do it, don't stress about it. Not don't do it in secret, right? Um, whatever the case may be, Jesus is saying, this is something here that you might find helpful. In fact, just this weekend, we asked the youth community to step away from, from Facebook and Insta and Snapchat um, to fast from social media and with all the hours of time that they would have available um, to, to pray instead. I'm not sure how successful it was, I didn't go around and take a survey afterwards because I asked them to do it in secret. But I, find that, I found it helpful because we were praying for the persecuted church. We had open doors, um, come and speak to youth um, a couple of Fridays ago, and the stories were scary and they were richly encouraging. And so this morning, if I could dare just share something that was done in secret, just for your encouragement. This morning, as I sat at breakfast and in my usual ritual, kind of go ready to flick through the kind of feed of all the luxuries of life that people are enjoying... I was like, wait a second, we said no. <laughs> so I put it away and I pulled out this little booklet and I prayed for Christians in Somalia. There's only hundreds of Christians in Somalia. It occurred to me that as we meet today, there's probably more people that have come into this building than there might be Christians in a whole country. 
so severely are they persecuted? And so I prayed for them. I, I don't normally do that uh, on, at, at morning over breakfast. I'm normally just trolling through Facebook. And so I've done something much better with my time, but I, I wonder if I did more of that kind of stuff, whether I'd press into God more so and seek Him more so in secret. But I won't speak more of that because it's for you and God to work out. I don't know your heart. I don't know where you're at, kind of what you're feeling right now, whether you feel like a hypocrite, or whether you feel actually really intimate and beautiful in your relationship with God. Whatever it might be, seek the Father in secret. Make Him big in your life and let everything else flow out of that. That is beautiful religion. That is Christianity. That is living for Jesus and knowing Him more and knowing yourself more. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we can even address you as Father because of what Jesus has done for us. In the beauty of the relationship we have with you, would you help us to nurture that, to be rewarded even in the relationship we have with you, that we might know you more and accordingly know your blessings more. Father, if there's people here who are struggling with a heavy or guilty heart or feeling like a hypocrite, Father, would you make your presence known to them? Would you make your forgiveness known to them? And Father, would you refresh them? In the name of Jesus. Amen.